How you doing this morning, Northside? Y'all okay? Everybody's there? Waking up as we go, that's fine too. Uh, My name is Matt, and if we haven't met yet, I was once a youth pastor at this church back when I was younger, cooler, and thinner. This is my family and I at the time we were serving here and getting ready to leave. We've been in California for the last 10 years, planting churches, pastoring, and contending for the gospel. If you looked at our crew today, this is a more accurate depiction of who we are these days. There is Lucy, the one from the picture before in the bathing suit, my wife Brittany, middle daughter Penelope, son Bear, just turned seven a couple days ago. This is our crew. If it looks like we are sitting in the middle of an empty house, it is because we are in the process of moving right now. And if you want my best, moving advice right now. Here it is. Don't do it. Oh, I'm serious. Hey, 20-somethings, you're like thinking about getting a home and what do we want and how how high are the ceilings going to be? Let me tell you something. Pick a home and then die there because moving is the worst. This is my only set of clothes I have clean right now. This is my daughter's iPad. She's charging me by the hour to borrow it from her. It is tough out there. Now, I love getting to study the Bible with you guys. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 today. Revelation chapter 21. If you are a Bible follow along type person, uh, underliner, highlighter, or note taker, you are my people. You could go in your phone or in your Bibles to Revelation 21, and I'll meet you there in just a little bit. If you've been on this Quest 52 journey with us, you probably know that every single week we answer a different question. This week we're answering two two questions. They're on these boards to my right and my left. We're going to dive into both of those today. We've got a lot of work to do. I'm going to pray and then we'll get after it. Let's pray together. God and Father, I pray in these moments we share together that your Holy Spirit would come take over and do what only you could do. I pray for people who are tired, who are weary and worn out, that the power of your word would put wind in their sails, God, that it would bring them back to life. I pray through those going through trials and real pain right now, I pray that they would walk away today with a hope that is tangible. I, I pray for folks who are just trying to find you, God, that Today they would find what they're looking for. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I was so young when it happened, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember my family and I driving that winter to that little building on the edge of town. And I remember going through those two sets of double doors and walking into this little lobby with gaudy wallpaper and music playing above head, and I remember my extended family being there as well. I remember this well-dressed funeral attendant coming and receiving my family and walking us down a hallway and opening up a set of double doors and leading us into this little room that looked like a chapel. I remember the casket on the back wall and my folks holding my hand as we walked up to that casket and I remember there seeing the lifeless body of my great-grandmother in the casket. I remember her gray skin, the flowers on her purple dress, the way her hands were folded over one another and 
Even at that young age, I can remember wondering, the first thing that crossed my mind was to wonder where she had gone. Uh, Her body was very much here, but even at that age, I could perceive whatever it was in that body, that spirit that filled that body and animated that body and made that body the person we call Aura Maxine Allman had gone somewhere else. And I wondered where that spirit had gone. Was she happy there? What was she doing? We were here seeing her body, but where was that spirit and what was it doing? Northside, I tell you that to tell you the first big question we're taking on in our study today is just that. What will happen when I die? Listen, I know it's early morning on August 20th and that's a huge question, but today from a biblical perspective, we're gonna take on this idea of what happens when we die. It's a powerful question because it's a unifying question. Every single one of us has had that moment when we've thought about death, we've thought about dying, and what comes right after that is wondering where we in fact go next. The Bible teaches that God actually put this longing to know in this curiosity in our hearts. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, He, that's God, has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, we all long for something more. In all of us, there is something that longs to know, understand, and even experience what life is like on the other side of this one. I think the other thing we all have in common when it comes to this big question is we would all like to know what we're going to experience when this life is over. But unfortunately for all of us, there are far more questions than there are answers. Questions like, what will we do in heaven? How do we get into heaven? Is there some sort of entry exam? What are we going to be up to when we get there? Is God going to be there? Do I have a house? Where's this mansion he talked about? Are they going to be there? Because if they're going to be there, I'm not so sure I want to be there. What kind of things are we going to be up to and, and doing and working on when we get to heaven? Today, from a biblical perspective, we're going to tackle just that. I'm going to lean quickly on some research from three leading guys. It's interesting. I'll draw on the work of a gentleman who's a cardiologist named Dr. Raymond Moody, a physician and University of Connecticut professor, Dr. Carl Sabin, and a pastor named Pastor John Burke, all three of which who have become the leading researchers on the subject. It's interesting. The two physicians and doctors have actually studied these things, and so has Pastor John Burke. They've all kind of landed at the same place and become the world foremost scholars on these near-death experiences. They've looked at people who have passed away clinically, gone somewhere else, been resuscitated, and then brought back to life and shared their experiences. The two doctors actually have started to develop a faith because of what they've discovered. The three are now friends because their research has led them together, and their findings are fascinating. Physician, Dr. Raymond Moody is an interesting character. He's probably the leading researcher of the three on these near-death experiences or uh, NDEs as they call them. He's been with thousands of people who have clinically passed away and come back. Some were his patients and some were other folks that he pursued and got to know and interviewed later. In his book, Life After Life, he talks about the time when he became convinced there's something beyond this life. He 
met an Italian surgeon and they were at this conference together and the surgeon with, in all seriousness talked to Moody and explained to him he had a patient, a healthy young man pass away during an elective procedure. During that elective procedure, this, this, this doctor is in the process of resuscitating the young man. They can't do so. They are in the process of pronouncing him dead. A woman comes bursting through the doors in that moment, screaming the words, he's not supposed to die right now. He's not supposed to die right now. The Italian physician thinks that this must be some dementia patient for another floor who's escaped care and somebody needs to take care of this thing. The woman then screams, I'm his wife and he told, you, told me to tell you this is not his time. They go back to resuscitating the man. He comes back to life. The Italian surgeon meets with the man in his post-op appointment and asks him what happened. He said, I don't know what happened. I just know I started rising from my body. I watched you trying to bring me back to life. I heard a voice say, this isn't my time. I tried telling you, you guys wouldn't listen. So I went and got my wife. It says, the patient was able to tell the surgeon specific details about the operating room and waiting room, even what the doctor was wearing, and those facts were inexplicable by any other means. Cardiologist Dr. Carl Sabin was doing the same thing, a study for the University of Connecticut, and he encountered a woman named Vicky. Vicky gets in a car accident, has a thing, rises above, doesn't think it's her body in the car when she's looking down on it. She looks and she sees a bracelet that's her bracelet and comes to understand that she had passed away. She meets a being filled with light and love who tells her it's not her time. She sees classmates from her special needs classes who had passed away and even one of the caretakers from a special needs class. Now stick with me. Vicky could describe in uncanny detail what her friends and fellow students looked like, even how one of her friends walked with great difficulty. The powerful thing about Vicky's story is that she was born completely blind. Both of Vicky's optic nerves were severely damaged at birth. As Vicky explains, quote, a lot of people ask me if I see black. No, I don't see black. I don't see anything at all. And in my dreams, I don't see any visual impressions. It's just taste, touch, sound, and smell. My favorite one is from Pastor John Burke in his book, Imagine Heaven. And if, if you're looking for more of this, you want to go deeper, you want to take this further in your own study, this is a great starting place. Burke did some wonderful things in this study, but his most compelling and powerful story is from this article in The Lancet. Now, if you don't know what The Lancet is, that is one of Europe's leading medical journals. This is an actual scholarly writing. I tell you that because if you're like me, you might be skeptical, that's fair. You can go and in record in The Lancet is the story that I'm about about to tell you right now. Uh, an older gentleman uh, passes away or enters cardiac arrest. The emergency team brings him to an ER. He's being resuscitated by the crew there. They try CPR, nothing's working. They try a ventilator. They pull out this man's dentures because they have to take his teeth out to get the ventilator in. They're able to bring the man back to life and stabilize him. Then the man wakes up, uh, you know, a week later from a coma that they had placed him in. The only problem is the man can't find his dentures. So the gentleman says to his nurse attending to him, there's a woman in this hospital who knows where my teeth are. 
She was in the hospital as they were bringing me back to life. I saw her and she put the teeth in this little cart that was next to me. It had all these medicines in it. And if you bring her to me, she'll bring the teeth. He talks to the nurse who was there. She remembers the man and he tells her, quote, it had all these bottles in it and the sliding drawer underneath where you put my teeth. The nurse realizes he's describing a crash cart where they keep all the powerful life-saving drugs for emergency codes. She goes to the specific crash cart they use that day, opens the drawer, and his teeth are exactly where he said they were. The nurse says later in the Lancet as well, quote, I was especially amazed because I remembered this happening while the man was in a deep coma and in the process of CPR. When I asked further, it appeared the man had seen himself lying in a bed and he had perceived from above how we had been busy trying to save his life. So in his book, Imagine Heaven, Pastor Burke takes a study even further. He wants to remove all room for skepticism and doubt. And so what he does is pursues people from all cultures around the world who have had these near-death experiences. He goes, you know what? If this is just an American phenomenon because we've been trained to kind of think of heaven as this light, I wanna go other places as well and see what people are experiencing. And not only that, he goes to professionals and people in all kinds of positions who would actually have to put their careers at risk to share their story. Airline pilots, investment bankers, other physicians and the like. And he not only do the tales and stories from these people prove to be true, all over the world, there are nine or 10 common experiences that people have. And here's the coolest part for me. They line up with things already mentioned in the Bible. I'll share a few with you. Many people report, number one, an out-of-body experience. The consciousness being separated from the body. As a matter of fact, 73% of people who have near-death experiences uh, have those visions of looking down on themselves. Many of them mention details that are simply not able, they mention details that you could not know any other way. If you go to your Bible, Paul had a near-death experience. In Acts chapter 14, as he's sharing the gospel around the Mediterranean rim, he's stoned to death, killed, and left outside of town for dead, but comes back to life. In your Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the experience. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Whether in the body or apart from the body... I was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. The second experience is meeting a loving God. Do you know the two most common words people use to describe this God that they meet? Light and love. Burke, in his study, met a woman named Hazeline from Singapore, and she says, I'd seen a very bright light. I thought it was the sun, but it was not. I don't have an idea of where the light came from. Someone spoke to me for a while. I heard that voice that came from the light. You know what I felt when I saw that light? When I saw that bright light, I felt that someone loves me very much. I was very overwhelmed with that bright light, and while I was there, I felt a love I had never felt before. 
Do you know in our Old Testament when different prophets met God face to face, they see bright lights and describe God in a similar way. Daniel had an encounter, Ezekiel had an encounter. In Ezekiel chapter one, we get these words when Ezekiel saw God. On the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. Folks mention being welcomed by loved ones. Some report that it was just the essence or experience of a loved one. Some actually see or feel the beings of loved ones. We know in Hebrews, the writer talks about being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And this is one of my favorites. This is the last one I'll share. The people who went there and then back here said that experience felt more real than reality here. Did you catch that? They say, wherever it was I went, it felt like that was reality. And what we live in here on a day-to-day basis is just a reflection of that reality. Do you guys remember Paul saying so in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, for now, that's this life. We see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then that's the next life. We shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. If you're a C.S. Lewis fan and you've read through the Chronicles of Narnia, you remember at the end of that final battle, the world is put to rights and the crew from the Chronicles of Narnia arrives in heaven and one of them gets to heaven and proclaims, I love this passage, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it till now. The reason I love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Now, those are people who peered through the gate. But the question still remains, what is on the other side? To talk through that with you, I'd like to invite you to Revelations chapter 21 with me. If you're an underliner, Bible person, phone, follow along person, I'd love for you to join me there. I'll read it to you as you're getting ready and we'll talk about it. Revelation 21 is probably one of the most clear pictures of heaven that we have in all of scripture. And it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Highlight that, circle it, underline it. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. What do we know about heaven? I can tell you number one, this. It will be better than you think. 
I think many of us have this vision of heaven and it's like never ending church services and, and you just drive up in the parking lot every morning and you grab the coffee and you sit down and Jesus is there and you do Jesus things all day. And that's why so many of us think like the prophet Kenny Chesney once said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Can I confess something to you guys? I'm a pastor and I don't even wanna to go to that heaven. And that's why I believe heaven is better than we could ever imagine. Heaven is not endless church services. It is the presence of God once and for all, healing, redeeming, and restoring every cell in your body. You know how I know heaven will be better than you think? There are three things that hold all of us back in this life. Three simple things. Insecurity, fear, and regret. The only thing standing between you and a life that would feel too good to be true are not your bank account, not where you've been, not the neighborhood you live in, not what you're trying to save. The three things standing between you and a life that's better than you could ever imagine are insecurity, fear, and regret. Not liking what you see when you look in the mirror. Being afraid of what could happen to you or what might not happen to you if you're not working and out there and protecting yourself. And regret. Just simple things from your past that still haunt you today. When the presence of God is a present reality, those things will evaporate in a heartbeat. There will be no more insecurity because you are completely known and completely loved and completely whole in God's presence. In God's presence, you won't fear anymore because God will be there with you providing for your every need. In God's presence, you'll feel comfortable in your own skin because the reality of his acceptance of you will be so rich in God's presence, there will be no more regret because you will tangibly feel how deeply loved you are in spite of where you've been, what you've done, and what's happened to you. Heaven will be better than you think. Second big idea from Revelation 21 is simply this, heaven is a return, not an escape, and that is more good news. See, I think many of us imagine that idea of we pass and then the soul goes up. And I, I grew up on, you youngins might not get this, but bear with me, Tom and Jerry. Anybody have Tom and Jerry in their life? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Back when the phone was on the wall and if you liked a girl, you had to call her and talk to her dad for a minute before, come on, that's a different time, all right? Drink some hose water and get back to me. Sorry. No, but you know, Tom and Jerry, the cat's chasing the mouse and he'd chase him so hard, he'd die and something would kill the cat. And then you would get this image where, remember this? And his soul leaves his body. And, and then all of a sudden, Tom's up there with wings and a halo. And, and it's just another reason why you're not really sure if you want to go to heaven or not. I've got good news. Heaven is not you go there. 
Heaven is God will one day bring there here. Heaven is a return to what God always had in mind. You know this, you've read Genesis chapter one and in the beginning of your Bible, God creates the whole world. He forms it and over and over and over it says, and God says it was good. Meaning it was just how God wanted it to be. It was perfect. It was whole. The people were just who God wanted them to be. The relationship between God and those people and those people and one another was perfect. When we pass or when Jesus comes back, the end of all days is this world being restored to what it was always made to be all along. That's good news. Because it means your best moments here are just little tastes of what's to come. My family and I were on a road trip not too long ago and we're in Grand Junction, Colorado and it's on the Western slope and they've got rivers just running through the mountains all over the place there and you can do the whitewater rafting. And so we booked it and this guide gave us a raft we're all in and a kayak we could follow along in. And down there in this river, there's these cliffs and mountains on either side. I'm telling you, it's 3,000 feet up the mountain. These cliff faces are about 1,500 feet above you on each side. And it's just sun and blue sky and river and mountain. And we're cruising down this river. And the guide says, uh, hey, you guys down around the bend here, if we stop, there's this cliff you can jump off. I was like, I'm listening. And I have this long history of pushing my children to do things a little too soon. And so I'm, a, it's all right, uh, cool. We'll see when we get there. And my son, and, and between us, he's kind of the more timid of the three, actually. And he's not ready to rush into anything. He said, Dad, what's that? I said, oh, he's saying there's this cliff you can jump. I'm being good. I'm not going to put that dad pressure on him. And he said, I said, there's this cliff you jump off of. And he, he said, where? I said, into the river. He goes, Dad, I got to jump off that cliff. I was like, you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, the cliff. He goes, yeah, Dad, I got to jump off that cliff. I was like, talk to your mom. He pulls us to the cliff and we jump out of the raft and swim across the river up to this little cliff. It's not the biggest you've ever seen in your life, but heck, he's six years old at the time. And what happened got captured on one of our phones right here. (laughs) And he did it. And I'm floating there my three healthy children were in a river we're rafting my boy just jumped off a cliff into my arms and I'm going this is about as good as it gets and it hit me this is just a sample of what every moment of every day will be like when we get to eternity with God Number three, we will be free from mourning, hurt, and pain. 
Let me read more of Revelation 21 to you. It says, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Can I just remind you in heaven, there will be no more miscarriages, no more disease, no more overdose, no more back pain, no more strange family members, no more Alzheimer's. We will be made perfect in a heartbeat. And God himself will wipe every tear once and for all. Which leads us to our next question. How can I be sure I will go to heaven? Can I tell you something? The word I want to focus on here is sure. See, so many people have a strategy that just involves ignoring reality and avoiding it. And we're just going to hope one day that it all kind of works out on the end. I don't want to just hope, guys. I don't want to avoid I don't want to just cobble together some ideas from my grandparents or a podcast I heard and go, hope that all works out in the end. I want to be sure. I want my children to be sure they will be with God for all eternity. And I want to tell you how you can be sure. But first, I want you to get the importance of this. I brought this rope with me. Goes all the way down the stage there. And this rope represents your life. I want you to use your imagination for a minute. I want you to pretend this white part of this rope just keeps on going for eternity. It's forever. It's infinity long. And and this rope is your life. Can I tell you what this red part is? This red part is your life right here on earth. And after this, it's eternity. Some of you are are right here right now and you're looking at college and where you're going to go and making sure the grades are right. And some of you are right here right now and you're like, that's probably sooner than later for me. Some of you think you're here, but you're actually here because you don't know what the future holds for you. For all of us, the wisest and most intelligent thing we could do is live this life in preparation for this one. And you guys, as a pastor, sometimes I get to encourage and, you know, enjoy it and all that stuff. Sometimes I get to cast vision or teach. And sometimes because I love you, I have to warn you. See, we told a lot of stories about people seeing God or meeting God. But those stories do not mean that those people stayed in the presence of God forever. Both our scriptures and the mouth of Jesus teach us that at the end of this life, there will be a judgment. 
And there are people who will spend this time forever with God, and there are people who will spend this time forever without. And we want to be sure of where we will spend eternity. So we're going to go to Jesus. In John chapter 11, Jesus speaks directly to this. I want you to catch the context though. He doesn't just say this because he's given a lecture and he's like, gather around, let me teach you about death, dying, and how to go to heaven. He's confronted with the reality of death, dying in the afterlife when he loses a dear friend of his. If you've heard that verse, Jesus wept, it is after he lost his friend Lazarus and he's thrown headfirst into this conversation about death, dying, the afterlife. And there's a lot of emotion here. There's a lot of passion here. And there's a lot of empathy here in the voice of Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 25, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's how you know. And because I love you, I want to be painfully clear here. Believing in Jesus does not mean intellectual assent. It does not mean that there's a heavenly scantron. Was Jesus your Lord and Savior? True. Son of God, true. Okay, come on in. Can I tell you something? There are demons who could pass that Scantron test. When Jesus says the word believe, in his language, he was saying this word pastuo. It literally means to trust or to surrender to. So when the original audience heard Jesus in John chapter 11, it would have sounded like this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who surrenders to me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by surrendering to me will never die. Will you surrender to this? So how can you be sure? How can you know? It's when I have surrendered the entirety of my life to Jesus. I surrender my need to save myself and I trust his work on the cross to save me. I surrender my need to control my life and I trust Jesus to guide me. I surrender my independence and my autonomy And I trust that Jesus is my one true king. I surrender. So I'll leave you with this. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You can be sure. The Bible makes it so clear and so simple. I love our scriptures because anytime something gets deep or big or confusing, the Bible just has a way of simplifying it. There's this time after Jesus has died and risen from the dead, a group of people asked the apostles, what do we gotta do? We want Jesus 
We want heaven. We want eternity. What do we do? And the answer was simple. It's repent and be baptized. Repentance is this moment where I'm saying, Jesus, here's the keys. From now on, you're driving. And baptism is that supernatural moment when I am dying to my old self and being made new by Christ. My friends, this life is far too short to speculate, to avoid, to hope, or to wish. Our heart and our hope is that you can go away being sure that you belong to Christ. Would you pray with me? God and Father, We thank you for the great hope that awaits us. We thank you for those moments we get in this life that remind us heaven is coming. God, for those in the room who are, have been through or are going through great pain, I pray that you would remind them one day you will wipe every tear. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your great sacrifice on the cross that makes it all possible. It's in your name we pray, amen. Guys, we would love for you to partner with us in sharing the hope that is found in Jesus. You could grab your kids and head over to our kids' auditorium and write down prayers on the floor for your friends and family members. That being the case, we're right back here with more Quest 52 next week. Love you guys. Catch you later. Peace.